Welcome to Some Assembly Required, a bi-weekly design podcast where we will be covering a range of topics from tech, industrial and product design, and sustainability. I'm Pablo Samoilis. And I'm George Wyeth. We're both product designers from the University of Sussex. This is part two of our Jumbo special episode number two, How Do We Cop? Where we're chatting with our wonderful lecturer, Claire Potter, on all the ups and downs, promises and disappointments from the recent COP26 Climate Summit in Glasgow. If you've missed part one, be sure to check it out as we discuss the initial week of pledges and announcements, from deforestation to methane and marine protected areas. Anyway, enough from me, let's get back to the show. Enjoy. It is not a secret that COP26 is a failure. It should be obvious that we cannot solve a crisis with the same methods that got us into it in the first place. And more and more people are starting to realize this. Many are starting to ask themselves, what will it take for the people in power to wake up? But let's be clear, they are already awake. They know exactly what they are doing. This is no longer a climate conference. This is now a Global North Greenwash Festival. A two-week-long celebration of business as usual and blah, blah, blah. The most affected people in the most affected areas still remain unheard. And the voices of future generations are drowning in their greenwashed and empty words and promises. Are we fighting to save ourselves and the living planet? Or are we fighting to maintain business as usual? They cannot ignore our screams as we reclaim our power. We are tired of their blah, blah, blah. Our leaders are not leading. This is what leadership looks like. Uh, day five was the Fridays for Future March. Um, so, you know, big old protest. It was basically Greta being disappointed and angry. Yeah. Greta does a lot of being disappointed and angry and quite rightly so, I think. Yeah. Because um, this is the COP. This is the conference of parties. This is the, you know, let's figure it all out and solve it for everybody. Um, and then as an outsider, you're sort of standing and watching and looking and, and even things like access was like appalling at COP. Mm. Actually getting in, usually you can go in and you can see things happening. That didn't really happen so much this year. So there's a lot of people feeling they've been literally shut out of the discussions, um, both as smaller nations as well as people as observers. So I think what was really interesting with Greta talking was she was trying to sort of make people aware of the fact that all of this stuff was happening, but what was actually happening? We didn't know. And is it empty promises? This is the time where people should be making really solid, really, really truthful remarks about what is happening and what they can do. And it wasn't, it was in her words, a lot of, a lot of blah, blah, blah. Mm. Yeah. And her storming out of, I don't know whose talk it was that she just left the room. Oh, I'm not sure. I can't remember. I didn't see about that. Yeah. She, there was, someone was great, you know, greenwashing. I think it was one of the industries, someone in fossil fuels. And she just kind of stood up and told them that they were greenwashing and just left. Wow. And that was quite a statement. And I think it's, it's incredible. The, the, the name she's built for herself is where her leaving is enough of a statement as one of her kind of incredible speeches, essentially. Yeah. It's just her presence or absence says so much about whether or not that person is genuine. And she talks to a completely different type of person usually. So she's talking to younger generations. She's talking in very clear terms. So she's talking to pretty much everybody, not just somebody who is a climate scientist or follows this on the everyday life. She's able to talk in 
such a way that she brings everybody along with the journey. And she does that with passion and she does that based on science. So it's not just somebody being emotional, which is what she's been called previously. It is based on the science and she understands the science quite deeply and she's communicating that in a brilliant way. Um, and so what it's interesting you're saying about fossil fuels, um, when we think, think about delegates and who were actually <laughs> at the COP, mm-hmm. um, there were more fossil fuel linked delegates than any other country at the COP. Yeah, I've got that. She's got that noted down. So there was 503 delegates that they found which uh, were linked to a trade organization or a group that re- represents the interest of the oil and gas companies. Yeah. 503. The next biggest one down was... Um, Brazil's delegation, which I think was in the 400 and something, 480. Yeah, they had a lot, yeah. Um, but like, it's, that's, that was the largest nation's delegate, delegates. That's a and lot there was of still people more. from one nation. It's kind of impressive. Yeah, but there yeah. were still more people from fossil fuel yeah. back, backgrounds. Obviously, that was coming from different delegations of different nations all around. It wasn't just, they didn't just come as one group. No. Um, but it's and worrying. It is worrying because <laughs> yeah. you think these are the people that are going into discussions and negotiations and lobbying and chatting to people and doing the networking. So if the fossil fuel industry as a whole is having such a large amount of people representing its interests, regardless of what country they're from, it's kind of unsurprising that we didn't get anywhere near the kind of commitments that we were hoping for mm. because it's not in their best interests. And some some were more um, subtle than others. I think Australia's Antwerp Pavilion was sponsored by a fossil fuel company, oh. <laughs> <laughs> which was quite staggering. Oh, Australia, what are you doing, man? Honestly. Uh, yeah, um, they're really not yeah. getting it. Like they, they've got such an incredible amount of biodiversity, not to mention like the only marsupials on this planet. Mm-hmm. And I mean, the, the current government just doesn't care. Yeah. Yeah, is, Scott Morrison is. Um, yeah. I'm going to name him because you think he can be named and shamed. Um, yeah, yeah. He just doesn't. He doesn't care. Perhaps I should register to vote in Australia. <laughs> <laughs> you, you could actually. I've got an Australian passport. I just, you know. You are the most multi-international person that I know. Thank you. Yeah, I, you I, should I, yeah, vote. Yeah, should, register and vote. It's one of those things with Australia where I've I've always thought about it because obviously now I can vote. I might as well. But also, Australia has mandatory voting. So once I register, Brilliant. I then have to vote for the rest of my life, which could be really annoying if I just forget about it and I'm completely. Because, you know, it takes time to get a ballot sent to you when you live across the other side of the world. Mm. Um, mm. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. So that's kind of why I've avoided it. But maybe I should just to you know, say my opinions on climate, especially. Yeah. A couple of people who I know who are Australian um, were just appalled at the stuff that they saw. Mm. Um, yeah. One person said, I'm deeply ashamed of my country. And I was like, look. All of us are ashamed of our countries in different ways from what we've seen at COP, but she was like, she was really upset mm. about it. Yeah. Oh yeah, no, ab- absolutely. Australia didn't 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 win that one exactly, but you know, it's on on the greenwashing. It really does come from those fossil fuel industries, and I always forget that you know they were the ones who invented the idea of a climate footprint. Yeah, you know the whole check yourself, see what you're doing. You know, stop using plastic straws. Like yeah. obviously, we should all be more conscious personally. But that entire media direction was built by ExxonMobil and Shell and whatever. Yeah. Yeah. It's a really interesting one. So we do talk about carbon footprints a lot and reducing our carbon footprints. But yeah, you're completely right. Yeah. This was something that was invented by the people that actually created the carbon for us mm. to be footprinting in the first place. Exactly. And it is a minuscule amount of responsibility we have as individuals compared to what they are doing and what they are prospecting to do in coming years. It's yeah. not just like, let's keep it all in the ground. We've kind of got enough. We've got our technologies. They're still doing explorations at a rate that is vastly more than their input um, into their actual renewables. There's the, um, I don't know if you've seen the documentary, Joe Lycett, 
Can, um, and I haven't actually watched it yet, but oh, I you were just to. talking about this earlier. <laughs> I was, yeah. It was really interesting. So Joe Joe Lysett, um, obviously fantastic sort of commentator, comedian, and he got a bee in his bonnet about Shell and what Shell was saying. He saw, you know, one of their beautiful glossy green washy adverts, which was how much we're doing. Look at these windmills. Look at our, all the trees. Look at all these plants in our office. She says, looking around at plants in her office. Um, <laughs> and yeah, he was like, this is... Um, this doesn't feel quite right. And of course, the more you dig, the more you find, then yeah, actually they weren't doing a huge amount. So it's a great documentary. It's available on um, all four. Um, yeah, it's a really, really nice watch. And he basically puts out a counter advert. Mm. Um, we'll, we'll put that on our show notes, please. Yeah, send it, send it over. And I'll the it. counter yeah. advert is hilarious. Yes. It's him have, pretending to be um, advert, yeah. Van Buren, the CEO yeah. of Shell, um, and just keeps on shitting out of his mouth. Yes. Um, <laughs> It was quite disturbing to watch yeah. it being filmed, actually, let alone him actually Ooh, doing yeah. it. But one of the key things was, yeah, when they talk about renewables and how they're investing in the future, I think it was 20 times more was being invested in fossil fuels. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, look at this really, really great little green dot of investment we're doing. Don't look at this massive black mm. spot of everything we're spending 20 times more actually investing in. Wow. Yeah. And yeah. whilst we're on Shell, actually, at the, the, the day we're recording this, um, I think it was yesterday. Uh, Shell announced that they were moving their headquarters from uh, the Netherlands to the UK. And obviously the investors were, well, there's a lot of, lot of talk going around from the investors, but the thing that instantly stood out to me was that Shell also lost a court case in the, in, in the Netherlands earlier this year, which was telling them to reduce their emissions by 45%. And guess what? It only applies in the Netherlands. What a surprise. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. That was quite a landmark decision, actually, when they're actually going to be legally required to reduce their emissions. Mm. But isn't it terrible that they can just go, yeah, we're moving house. Sorry about that. That doesn't apply yeah. to us anymore. We're going somewhere else. Yeah. And like they'll be required to reduce their emissions in the Netherlands. So they'll have like one little office there that goes green or whatever. Yeah, there'll right? be a post box or something. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. But what astounded me was the fact that they would rather up and move their entire company than just get on and do it. Yeah. I think that's, that's kind of key for a lot of the fossil fuel industry. It's all the diversion tactics, the, the amount of legal um, uh, things that are put forward to try and squash people talking about it or, or um, people that are restricting access to lands, all of this money and effort and lawyers that they're, they're employing to actually make things more complicated and worse. It's just really petty, isn't it? It is. It's it ma really? malicious compliance. Oh, that's a perfect example. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's the phrase for sure. I, I love that phrase. It's useful for everything because you you can do your own malicious compliance when someone annoys you about something, and you're just going to do what they say, but in the most annoying way possible. I love to do that, mm. but I'm also an annoying person. <laughs> um, <laughs> you're not annoying. Yeah, it's because you're wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> You've not been annoying to me. I have to say. <laughs> you you haven't done. The harm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the day that you were you were annoying to me, I think, oh no, no, no one in product design has done that. It's <laughs> it's it's things that I think are silly that I will then be annoying about. But mm. you know, not Sorry. these things. But yeah, Shell will do it, <laughs> but they're doing it and killing us all in the process. It's very different. Yeah. Um, I'm not causing any harm. But no. you know, on, on that, uh, I think something good that came out of this: the Glasgow Climate Pact that kind of, you know, came out in the end, that's, that's a deal to actually explicitly say we're going to reduce our use of coal. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So 
this was a, a last minute thing that happened. I mean, this is quite usual of cops. If anybody has hasn't followed cops before, there is always that sudden scramble at the last minute. And we know with the Paris Agreement in 2015, it was, I mean, people didn't sleep trying to get these kind of things agreed. And you have lots of, you know, little huddles of people talking and negotiating things. Um, but with any kind of... <laughs> Think of a group project where everybody has to have their say. To get everybody to agree to all of the wording in something is quite spectacular. Mm. Not everybody generally agrees on everything. And you do get people proposing things at the last minute, which is what happened with the um, the wording that needed to be changed. Um, so proposed by India. But yes, fossil fuels are mentioned. Coal is mentioned, rather. Um, and that's the first time since the sort of the Kyoto Protocol that it's really been discussed in black and white, because it is the elephant in the room in all of the cops and in all of the climate discussions. We bloody know that it's fossil fuels, but nobody has been brave enough to put it in and people have not been allowed to keep it in. Yeah. It's been removed. It's like, no, 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 no. Remove fossil fuels. Remove the word fossil fuels. And we're like, as everyday people we're going, well, it's bloody fossil fuels. Mm. You know, just name it. And then we could do something about it. But this is the first time that coal has specifically been mentioned. Yes. And that's that's very exciting. Although yeah. obviously it does have that caveat of there isn't really a defined target to the climate pact yet. So that's the bit that I sort of looked at and went, oh, yeah. <laughs> you've basically just written down on a piece of paper, do better. Yeah. Must kind be better. of what they've done. Yeah. Um, but at least they've been specific. Do better with coal. Yeah, better with the coal. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I did actually read because India got a really bad rap for this, saying that they would need to do, remove the words um, "phasing out" and replacing it with "phasing down," and that was the thing that hit all the headlines. But then when I dug around a little bit more, apparently, India wanted to be talking about phasing down fossil fuels, mm. not just coal. Did they so, know? I didn't know that. Yeah, and apparently it was the UK <laughs> that maybe had a bit of a retaliation. I only found a couple of mm. sources saying this when I dug around, but they were the ones that wanted to um, remove the terminology of fossil fuels and keep it very specific to coal. Now, why is that? Because actually yes. coal, uh, coal, we're not doing a lot of coal in the UK anymore, but we're doing a lot more with oil and gas. So if we have fossil fuels named oh crap, we kind of need to do something about that. Put coal in because in actual fact, we don't really use that so much. Anymore. And also like <laughs> the UK can be very forward on phasing out coal, whereas yeah. India's statement of phasing down fossil fuels, can, that applies to everything. And yes, we're not eliminating them. Yeah. But we are, that, that is a, that's a really interesting point. Yeah. It's actually a much better take to say, let's phase down everything. Yeah. So if that is true, and I've dug around and I've found a few sources that have said that, then India maybe shouldn't have been getting the public slap that um, that they did go. That's get very by, interesting. Uh, yeah. yeah, I didn't mm. see anything about that. Mm. I'll find the sources. We can do that yeah, in the notes as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Because, I mean, you can totally understand India's issue with phasing out coal. Mm. Because, they, you know, they have pledged to do a lot as we talked earlier, they've pledged to do a lot with reduce with their reductions, but they are still currently re quite reliant on coal mm. and they will stay reliant on coal for a while um, whilst they get the infrastructure built. So phasing out to them might have come to a point where they're like, well, we, we can't, we can't get it all out, but we can get it mostly out. Yeah. Um, and that is kind of what phasing down, I guess was the whole deal. Yeah. About. And as far as terminology goes, I mean, a lot of people look at it and go, ah, phasing down, phasing out, what's the difference? There's a huge difference, but the, the crux of it is, it is phasing and it is going down. 
So out or down, that's surely better than what we had before, which was nothing. And also with regards to reporting, it used to be every sort of five years that countries had to report on their pledges and how they're, they're going with stuff, which is a really bloody long time. And we think about how quickly economies move and how emissions need, or, I mean, they're measured daily. We know this, mm. but actually you, um, countries are going to have to come back next year at the next COP and say, okay, this is what we pledge to do. This is now how we're doing. So things should be adjust, adjusted far quicker than they have been historically. So that's another good thing as well. Mm, that is good. Well, I think that almost rounds out. It does pretty much get us there. Yeah, the last thing I guess we'll mention just is the study that came out that basically says that despite all these agreements, the world is still on track for 2.4 degrees of warming, where obviously the dream was the 1.5 um, ambition. Mm. Yeah, there was the whole phrase, keep 1.5 alive. Yeah. You saw that a lot on placards. So the 1.5, this is the 1.5 that came from the Paris Agreement. So this was the um, the recommendation that um, temperature increases above in pre-industrial levels, as uh, so we're talking sort of 1900-ish or thereabouts, um, should be kept to well below, was the terminology in the Paris Agreement, well below two degrees. And then yeah. it was like with a target of 1.5. And yes, we, we've already warmed about 1.12, I think it is. So if people think that's a 1.5 degree increase from now, it's like, no, we're already on 1.1. We've got another one, like 0.4 um, before we hit that 1.5. And of course, we're already, already seeing um, everything on fire, floods, droughts, famine. You know, this is all linked to climate change and been proven to be linked to climate change. So everybody was like, keep the 1.5 alive. Come on, let's get there. And there was a couple of studies that looked at everything that countries were pledging and saying at the very best, if everybody did everything they were promising to do, it would lead us to 1.8. Mm -hmm. So that's already mm -hmm. 0.3 over our target of 1.5. Of course, that's still great. And obviously 1.8 is better than 2.4. And I've seen some that are saying 2.4 to 2.7. And spoken to a couple of academics recently that said, ah, it's going to be 2.7, which is nearly double what our target of 1.5 is. Mm -hmm. And yeah. every point degree makes a huge difference, particularly if you think about countries like Tuvalu. Yeah, I was, I was going to say that the, the 1.5 and the Keep 1.5 Alive movement all came from those small island nations. Mm -hmm. So the Paris Agreement very much started with two degrees, well below two. There was no statement of a 1.5 goal. And it was only near the end of that uh, summit that essentially all these small countries banded together and protested their way onto the stage to say, actually two degrees will have us underwater. Mm -hmm. yeah. So 1.5 or we die. And they managed to get it to the point of well below two, the goal is 1.5 as opposed to the goal being two. So obviously if we hit 1.7, that's still fantastic for most of us. Yeah. It's still kills the homes of many yeah and the frustration i mean sitting here in brighton in the uk you know it's not on our doorsteps like it is on their doorsteps and you know we're feeling the pain of stuff that's come out of cot but in a very different way to the way that they are they it must be so they must feel so let down by the world all of these developing nations that are going to suffer catastrophic changes to their lives um they must be really pissed at everybody because oh, yeah. I really would be as well. I'm pissed on their behalf. Oh yeah. But I mean, yeah. we've got a beach right there, so we'll see some sea level rise, but there's no way it's going to come. Right. There's a very steep beach. So right. Like it's not even going to hit any of the shop fronts on the, on the beach front. 
I mean, it might do. Really? Uh, yeah, yeah, it might do. So the arches have flooded historically. Um, yeah, nowhere near like the levels if you get like a, a flood with every tide. But if you get a big tide, you get a storm surge and you get a lot of rain, then yeah, it all builds up and the, the arches would be flooded. Let's just put it this way. I wouldn't be um, buying a lease on a property in the arches of Brighton Beach or okay. anywhere. But the, the barrier <laughs> between the arches and then like the main level of the city. Oh, the top level of the city. No, we're yeah, probably got, okay there. That, that yeah. would t- it would take a lot for that to happen. It would take a lot. So, you know, we can look at the sea and be like, oh, that's close and that's rising, but it, it was never going to be the same to us as it is to these small island communities. No. Which I mean, is disheartening. Yeah, I mean, our coastline <laughs> will change. Oh, yeah. um, we know that. Um, the Thames Barrier was built to stop London flooding. I went there as a kid, went and visited the Thames Barrier, but now it's like a question of whether the Thames Barrier would even be able to cope with sea level rises that we're going to be seeing. So... Bigger barrier, aren't they? Better be a barrier. But things with water is that when you think about flood defences, um, particularly around, you know, um, our coastlines, the water will just move somewhere else. Yep. yep. So it will just get in somewhere. But of course, the countries we're talking about, the developing nations and the Pacific nations, everything is gone. Mm. It's not just a bit of flooding and an insurance claim. It's whole communities and generations disappearing. Well, that's on a somber, that note. somber <laughs> note to leave it on. Uh, but Claire, thank you. Thank you so much. So much for joining us again. Mm. Thank you for having me. It's been a blast. Yeah, this has been... It's been a very interesting discussion. This is a really lovely podcast studio. And we've had a really interesting, not that inspiring, but very important conversation. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think the thing to leave people with is don't be disheartened. Yeah, we've run through all the, the crappy bits, the green cock bits, the fossil fuel industry is screwing us all over and they're pretending they're not bits. But there are a huge amount of stuff that has been done. So there are pledges in place to do stuff, good stuff. Yes, we should be holding these countries and governments accountable. And there will be measures to allow us to do that through reporting. We can change little bits of our own behaviour and our own actions. Um, And more than ever, our governments and our nations are going to be under the microscope in years to come, which is something we haven't had previously. So there is a load of good stuff that came out from COP. It wasn't the massive success we hoped for, but it certainly wasn't a failure that some people are saying it is. Yeah. yeah. And there's a lot of very inspirational voices and names that came through it as well. Um, you had the more recognisable ones. David Attenborough's opening speech was very... Sir um, Dave. Moved, very <laughs> moving. Um, there was the Prime Minister of Barbados, Mia Motley, gave an oh, incredibly powerful speech. That was that fabulous. Was absolutely fabulous. Um, I, I know you loved the Don't Choose Extinction campaign video that came out before COP of the uh, velociraptor basically telling the world, what are you doing? Yeah, I've kind um, of done extinction and it kind of sucks. Yeah. <laughs> Anything with a velociraptor in will get my, I've got a velociraptor on my, on my door. I don't know if oh, you saw yeah. him. Hello. Yeah, I have a little velociraptor, yeah. Yeah, so anything with a dinosaur on gets my vote. But that's the point, isn't it? Yeah. You know, yeah. How to make something accessible to people through humour. Mm. Um, and there was loads of indigenous um, people up, up there as well. I, I don't actually have a name, which is probably bad, but there was, there was, you can find loads of them um, online from indigenous communities that have a lot of answers that nations have not even thought of. But there's a lot of leadership that can come from those communities. There's there's value to looking back on Mm. how we did it for years. Like, obviously, we didn't have a fully industrialized world, but, you know, humanity has handled this world pretty well up until not long ago. Yeah. Yeah. There's so much knowledge of the planet that will come through indigenous peoples. Oh, yeah. Um, Mm. And they need to be listened to. Historically, they haven't been. They've been taken over and they have been exploited. So that needs to change very much so. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. And obviously we've got Claire. Go check out her book for some other tips on how you can make your own life a bit more uh, green as well.
yes oh, yeah. a, a good way to give tips i i i am reading it i'm just a very slow reader but i'm really enjoying it so far oh thanks um, so i mean if anybody that knows me that's listening once i've finished the book you're welcome to uh, borrow it off of me in the spirit of uh circular economy perfect perhaps that will be me because that might align really well with me being a little less busy mm. <laughs> I, thought totally was, so. I thought it was on the reading list for claire's module yeah it is yeah compulsory reading list you, you fail <laughs> <laughs> it is in the library i think i've requested for the library which felt yeah. very strange well, to request the, my own book for the library it's at the back of the design studio oh i think somebody's taken it to read in the minute oh, but there. it's around oh, yeah but yeah it's, it's a relatively easy read it's explains things in simple terminology mm. you don't have to be a deep greenie to pick it up and and get stuff for your life it really is for everybody yeah That's it's really good. accessible i've been and then the first circular it. step you can do there is buying it from a bookshop instead of amazon yeah do you know i got a lot of people asking me that before it actually launched saying yeah but where can i get it do i have to go to the a word <laughs> i was like no you can go to it most independents will be able to get it in um no problem at all so whatever suits the way you live your life and how you're able to get stuff because obviously not everybody's got a fantastic indie bookshop in their town yeah. yeah but a lot of people have so please go and support them they need your money far more than jeff does even though apparently he's going to be giving money to, to do good stuff oh, of course yeah, just yeah a bit, thanks jeff a little bit yeah. of pocket change um, no, I actually, cause I live in a village. There's not, there is bookshops around, but it's, they're small village ones. They don't have as much. Um, so on that, I, there's a website called bookshop. I think it's bookshop.org, mm -hmm. um, yeah. which are great. Oh, that's where I got your book from. Um, yeah. and it's just, they do stuff like carbon offset deliveries, their competitive prices to Amazon and all their, they, all their profits go towards, um, bookshops. And you can even choose your local bookshop great. to say all my, pro all the profits from my sale goes to this specific bookshop so they're really cool as well that's wonderful it's another option yeah. incredible incredible well uh claire pick, pick an animal oh <gasps> shark always okay great uh make sure to subscribe to the podcast on apple Podcasts or spotify so that you never miss an episode if you've enjoyed this episode please share it with your friends family co-workers and your shark um unlike videos and blogs we don't have an algorithm that's kind of getting us up at the top of your feeds and everything so we rely on your word of mouth as our listeners so yeah please yes follow us on instagram at assemble.it for a deeper look into the show our own work and some behind the scenes outtakes projects and updates yeah we're gonna have a bunch of stuff in the show notes about this episode we're gonna have links to claire's instagram we're gonna have a link to one circular world which is her nifty little website with a bunch of circular economy stuff and of course the book which you should buy and read uh, but otherwise yeah remember to subscribe and share it among your friends family co-workers and your shark we'll see you in two weeks with our next episode which we've recorded so we can tell you it's about video game design it is indeed indeed thank you so much for listening goodbye bye <laughs> <laughs> some assembly required is co-hosted and produced by pablo samoilis and george wyeth and edited by george wyeth music is by mikey Burtwistle. This is a 76 podcasting production.